So let's go ahead and pray and we'll get started. Father, we thank you. We come to you as your children and thanking you for all of your wondrous love and, and your gracious uh, works in our life. Um, Lord, there's no way that we could ever repay you or earn it, Lord, but you give such grace to us. And we thank you so much that we can worship you. I pray, Lord, that all our hearts would be surrendered to you. Lord, that we would hold nothing back. We would hold no, none of our expectations about how our life should be or any of our own um, selfish ambitions would get in the way of us hearing your word and, and putting it into practice and doing what you say. Lord Jesus, thank you for your commands that are not burdensome, but, are, but they lead us in the way of life. And Lord, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit, forgive us for our sins, and, uh, and just come and, and be with your children this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hope makes no sense. Hope makes no sense. It probably, uh, we tend to define hope in a way that we can actually make sense out of it, but it's literally a counterintuitive idea. Hope doesn't make sense. And, and yet we really need hope. Hopelessness, we all know, is like a, a really unimaginable fate. It's a, it's a hard place to live in when you're hopeless. Last night there was a football game that was pretty crazy. I don't know if anyone saw it. But, yeah, Jody saw it. She watched it. Anyway, we, they, fourth and 20 from the five-yard line and, and with like 50 seconds left, and Aaron Rodgers throws a 60-yard pass, for a catch, and then another 60-yard pass, Hail Mary, two Hail Marys in a row for a touchdown. Yes, she says. It was pretty incredible to see. Then they lose, right? So, but even, even, that's why you always go for two at the end of a game if you're on the road. Anyway, enough about football. Even in that situation, a lot of people would say, it is hopeless, right? But they tried their best, and they threw their Hail Mary, and... They got it done somehow, right? Even that situation wasn't hopeless. They still went out there and gave it their best try, and they actually got it done, right? But hope, real hope, only counts, only exists when your situation is actually hopeless. So it would be after the time runs out and the game is over, if you still have hope, then you're crazy. But that is what I'm going to teach you today, and what Jesus is going to teach us today is what you're supposed to do. That's how you're supposed to believe and how you're supposed to act, is with crazy hope. I'm going to read a quote from G.K. Chesterton, who makes me feel like I don't even understand English, because he's so smart, his books, okay? Here's his, he says, hope means hoping when things are hopeless, or it is no virtue at all. As long as matters are really hopeful, hope is mere flattery or platitude. It's only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to be a strength. All right? So we're going to start, I'm actually in Romans 8.24 is what I'm going to read to you first. In Romans 8.24. And it says, For we are, were saved... In this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? Paul tells us in Romans that if you could see what you hope for, then it's not hope. And which is exactly what G.K. Chesterton said. If you can see a way out of your present situation, then it's not hope. And yet God commands us to live by hope. So it's this weird thing that doesn't make sense. Why do you want me to hope for something I can't see? Why, why God, would you have me live this life where I will never be able to see where my salvation comes from? I have to always put my hope in you. And yet that's God's stubborn way of doing things. He will not let us see. He will not let us put our hope in something we can see. All right, well, we get to Genesis chapter 40, and we've been learning about Joseph. As Joseph has been living his life, he has encountered some hopeless 
situations, yet he has always had hope. He has been faithful getting sold into slavery. He was faithful working for his father. He was faithful living as a slave. Now he's been thrown in prison. And we're going to see he is faithful even in prison. Now look at what it says in chapter 40, verse 1. It came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. I don't know what happened to the candlestick maker. (laughs) Yeah, it works. (laughs) I never said my jokes are accurate. Just that they're funny. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them in the custody, in, put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard, who, does anyone know who the captain of the guard is? It's Potiphar, the same guy that Joseph served. It says back in chapter 38 that Potiphar was the captain of the guard. So we find out that Joseph is actually imprisoned in Potiphar's house. Okay? And that Pharaoh put these two officers in Potiphar's house. And the captain of the guard, verse 4, charged Joseph with them. So Potiphar is still using Joseph. Potiphar is still... Like He just can't get away from Joseph. He really wants to still be connected with Joseph. So he charges Joseph with them, and he served them. So they were in custody for a while. He served them. Joseph served these two prisoners because Joseph has hope, impossible hope. No reason to think he's ever going to get out of this lifelong prison sentence Yet, he has hope. And what does hope do? Hope leads to ministry. To ministry. And it shows us the heart of ministry. So this first thing we're going to learn about is the heart of ministry, which is serving. Joseph served them. You can underline that. Joseph served them. To minister, the word minister, if you were to look it up in a good dictionary, means a servant. A servant. In uh, the book, Uh, Here's a book recommendation for you. It's called Jesus Style, The Jesus Style by Gail Irwin. Very funny, comical uh, guy, but he wrote this really amazing book about how Jesus did ministry, which we're seeing exemplified here. And the first attribute that Jesus shows us about how to do ministry is to be a servant, to have a servant-like heart and a servant attitude. Uh, there's a few others that it lists here. Number one, or number two, is that he does not lord it over people, which means he doesn't uh, say, well, I'm your Lord, so do it. He says, no, I'm going to serve them, and I'm going to give them an option to love me back. He does it as an example. He serves as an example. Uh, he is humble. He is as a child. He does things as the younger brother. He does things as last, as least, never forcing people, never with blind ambition, and of no reputation. Those are the things that Gail Irwin goes through in his book, the attributes that Jesus displays of how Jesus gets ministry done or the Jesus style of ministry. And I thought that that was so good. And Joseph here, he's exemplifying that. That's the heart that Joseph has. Why does Joseph act this way? Was there a list of rules that he received from God saying, this is how you minister to people? No, he just has the heart of God. And so he does what God would do, which is serve them. Okay, it's really cool. Now we look in verse 5. We're going to see now the way of ministry. That was the heart of ministry, that it's all about serving, and I'm going to take the lesser, the lower, the more humble route. But now I'm going to learn the way of ministry. And he says here that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream, both of them. Each man's dream in one night, and each man's dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph came into them, in the morning, and he looked at them and saw that they were sad. 
And so he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? Why do you look so sad today? Now, um, this is a really fun game you can play. This is Bible game, okay? So you got to do this, do this with your kids. This is, the, this is the Joseph in prison game or the why are you so sad game. So what you do is you put your kid or whoever you're playing the game with on a chair and you come up to them and you try to get them to smile by saying, why are you so sad today? It works awesome. Who wants to be my volunteer? You're already smiling. <laughs> so nobody's frowning, so everyone's smiling, so <clears throat> guess we can't play. But take this home, take this game home and play the Why Are You So Sad game. My dad invented this game. He used to do it with the kids at the church at Calvary Chapel Greeley. Um, it's a super fun. So the Why Are You So Sad game. Um, but what Joseph is showing us here is that he's got this heart of a shepherd. He's serving and he's showing us the, the way of ministry. So the first thing I notice when it comes to the way of ministry is that he comes to them. He comes to them, which involves location and a willingness to to be. He doesn't stand proudly off saying, I'm not going to talk to them until they talk to me. I've been in this prison longer than them. They need to open up to me first. No, they, they need to recognize me first. After all, it's really all about me. No, Joseph comes to them. He had stuff to do, but he suspended his work for people. And not just people, sinners. This is how to show love and the heart of Jesus to the world. You get out of your way to come to them. You go out of your way. Make them know that they are more important to you than your phone. Be willing to have a conversation and listen to people. We're all on our phones way too much. <clears throat> Maybe if you don't have it, Vicky's like, not me. <laughs> I've, you are an example to all of us, right? Many of us have lost the art of social interaction, and uh, which is, sadly, that's what Jesus was all about. We need to improve. Put down the phone and slowly back away. It'll be okay. Isn't it funny? You see pictures of, or, or I've been at restaurants and see, at Disney World, we were at a restaurant and there was like six kids at this with big family and I think all of them were on their phones like this. And they're eating this big meal together on a family vacation and they were just, doo, 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 doo. and I'm like, oh, what an example. <laughs> it's kind of sad. Uh, I was going to pass around a basket and have all of us put our phones in it, but I didn't want to have to heal like anyone, like from heart attacks or anything. So, <laughs> Well, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus gives us this example of how to locationally come to people and what that means, what that uh, speaks to us. In, in Matthew 18, verse 11, he says, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. So what makes Jesus happy? It says here, he, he rejoices. What makes Jesus happy? Saving sinners, which involves going after them. Going up to the mountains, he says here. The mountains in that day were a dangerous place, full of wild beasts and all kinds of dangers. And yet Jesus says, that's what makes me happy, is going after these people and saving them. That's what Jesus says his job is, his mission. And we can team up with Jesus when we open our eyes to the people that are around us, when we come in with a heart of serving, not only to church, but to your jobs and to Walmart or wherever you're at. Location and serving in no matter where you're at takes vulnerability. And it's going to be scary for you, I'm sure. It's scary for me to open myself up and have a conversation with someone because sometimes I don't want to know 
why are you so sad? You know, what's the answer? We say, how are you? And someone says, fine. And we're like, high five. I believe you because I didn't really want to talk about it anyway. I know a brother who I would say, how are you? And he would be like, hmm. Well, I've had better days and I've had worse. So I guess this is kind of in the middle. And I appreciated that answer. It's kind of awesome. (laughs) Um, We have to open ourselves up to the possibility of getting hurt. Because here's a real big thing that Pastor Ed taught me when I was serving over at Calvary Aurora is that hurting people hurt people. Hurting people always hurt people. So if you want to serve like Jesus, you are saying, I would like people to not respect me. I would like people to talk down to me and to waste my time and to pretty much not make my day go great so that I can serve the Lord. And that's what it is. It's like that with our kids too. We have to love them and serve them even when it's difficult and we get nothing in return (laughs) for like a bunch of years. Then they put us in a nicer nursing home and then we're better. So location. The second thing is we see in Joseph a focus. He looked at them and saw them, it says in Genesis chapter 40. He looks at them, and he, he kind of meditates on them, and he says, wait a second, you guys aren't happy. Let me investigate that. He focuses on that. He could have looked at himself and said, look at me. I'm in prison. Everyone should think about me and talk about me. I mean, this is unfair. I shouldn't be in prison right now. But his focus is on other people. His selflessness goes a long way. He wasn't thinking, why is my life so tough? Jesus gives us counsel when he says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus says to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And the best way to explain this is no to self, death to self. Everyone say, no to self, death to self. All right. This is biblical counseling. That is biblical counseling. On Wednesday mornings, on the nitty gritty, we're going through, we're starting this process of, of learning about what is biblical counseling, how to counsel God's way. And this is the foundational truth. So I thought I'd clue you all in. The world and psychology says self-esteem is what produces change. The Bible says no to self, death to self will give you life. Those are two diametrically opposed viewpoints that cannot be reconciled. You can't. You have to choose one or the other. Either I'm saying no to myself and all my desires and death to myself and all of my wants and desires or I'm focused on my self-esteem, pleasing myself, serving myself, loving myself. They're opposites. And this is tough to hear sometimes when the world has thrust on us this view of self-esteem being the most important thing in our entire world. In school, when I was going to school, I don't know if you went to elementary school, public school or whatever, it was all I heard about. Self-esteem, self-esteem, self-esteem. It wasn't anything. I mean, it was just the influence psychology has had in our school system was, was quite powerful. This is where real life is found, though. No to self and death to self. If you come in for counseling, if you call me for counseling, the message will always go back to, well, you're going to have to die to yourself. And your response will generally be, I don't want to. And I will say, I know, I don't want to either. But I want Jesus' help more than I want my self-esteem. And I think you do too. So let's go to Jesus together and die to ourselves, see what his commands are, and do his commands. His commands are, are always no to self, die to self. They're never please yourself. What do you want? It never goes that way. And, and Joseph, he 
looks at these guys and he doesn't look at himself. It's very, very wise of Joseph. He's an example of Jesus Christ. His focus is on others. He is also experiencing life in this. I mean, Joseph could just be another prisoner wasting away his life being of no eternal value. But because he says no to self and death to self, his life becomes this amazing picture of ministry and love and and service and healing for some. We're going to see amazing stuff that happens in Joseph's life because he's willing to say no to self, death to self. That's how it works. He's focused on these others and it takes selflessness. He dies to himself to concern himself with the needs of others. It would be so easy for Joseph to just try to get himself in a better situation by trying to control the conversation. Say, I see you guys are in it, but let me tell you about me first. Let me tell you what I've been through. I've been in this prison for years. I've been, I was so, I mean, let me tell you about my life. And it's really funny. Sometimes I have a conversation with someone and, and they start out by saying, how are you? But I can tell they don't care how I am. They only want to tell me about how hard their life is. And it's sad. It's sad. So that's when I have to die to myself and serve them, right? All right, so caring in the selfless way, as Joseph shows us, it it leads to good, caring, meaningful, selfless, and loving questions. Thoughtfulness is how we show this. When someone's talking to us and, and we observe, we focus on them. First we come to them, then we're focused on them. It leads us to this good question. His good question is, why do you look so sad today? It's not, so what's up? It's not, how about that sports team? It it communicates, I care for you. I desire your good. How can I bless you and serve you? Jesus could have thought about himself first also, but he never does. Then we're going to see, this next part we're going to see is the spiritual work of ministry. Okay, Joseph has showed us the heart of ministry, which is what? Serving. He showed us the way of ministry, which is coming to them, focusing on them, selflessness. No to self, death to self. Let me serve you. Let me focus on you. Put you first. Me never. You first. Okay? Now we're going to see the spiritual work of ministry. Verse 8. And they said to him, We have each had a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. So after this loving investigation, Joseph learns that their need is related to, a, to some spiritually significant dreams. He discovers their need. And Joseph then offers to magically, supernaturally interpret their dreams for them. Before we think this is crazy, Let us consider what's really going on here. God is teaching us about grace. God is teaching us about, uh, surprising, huh? It's not like we've seen him do that every single week in every single chapter of Genesis, but again, he's teaching us about grace. See what's going on. They have a spiritual need. They have a need. They know these dreams are important and they know that there's a correct interpretation. That's all in the scripture here. But there's one, they've been looking to a man to meet that need. Whether that man was themselves, which they saw, I'm not sufficient to interpret this dream. I don't have it in me. And then they said, there's no interpreter. No man can help me. They recognize that they've been looking to a man. And no man can meet a spiritual need. And that's a real important truth for us to grasp if we're going to understand what the whole Bible's about. Man can't help you. But yet there's churches out there that you could go to very close that will tell you, well, our man can meet your spiritual needs. And we got to be careful. We got to keep our eyes and ears open so that we don't get tricked into thinking there's another way besides a supernatural miracle from God to help you. And it's like, wait, am I supposed to just always trust in miracles? Hail Mary's at the last second? 
God says, yes, that's the way I do things. That's how you know that I'm real. They have a spiritual need. That's the first thing we learn. Second, God has the resources to meet that need. Joseph says, do not interpretations belong to God. God has what you need, guys. If you have a spiritual need, God has the spiritual resources to meet that need. Any brokenness or loneliness or sadness or guilt or shame or poverty or mourning or sorrow or persecution or selfishness or pride or any sin is a spiritual need that Jesus can and is willing to supply you through his grace which is a free gift. Any of those things I mentioned, anyone struggle with one of those? All of them? Absolutely. We have spiritual needs. We are spiritually needy as a child. We need everything to come from another outside source. We can't do it. But God says, I am willing to meet every one of your needs through Jesus Christ and his grace. Through grace. That is what it is. It's a free gift that is guaranteed if you'll come to me in humility and faith and ask for it. This is crazy. And Joseph, this is the third thing we learn from this, he is willing to be the spiritual servant that helps them get what they need from God. He says, tell them to me, please. I, want to, I could be the spiritual servant to help you go to God and get what you need. I am willing to help you. I know God gives dreams. I have experienced that as well, Joseph could say. You guys remember? Joseph had his own dreams that were spiritually significant, that God gave him spiritual uh, resources through. And he says, and I know that God loves you, and that God will give you the grace that you need, so I'll go to God on behalf of you to help obtain his grace for you. I'm going to teach you guys. You can follow me. I'll lead you there. I'm going to come alongside you and say this way to God. He's willing to be the one that gives them, helps them receive the spiritual resources that they need. He's saying, I'll show you how to approach God and get his help. I'll be your priest, he says. This is what he's saying. I'll be your priest. Husbands, this is what you're supposed to do with your wives. You're the priest of your home. Your children and your wives need to learn how to go to the Lord. You need to be like Joseph saying, hey, you have a spiritual need. I'll help you meet that spiritual need. I'm not just going to take care of it for you. I'm going to take you into the presence of God and we're going to ask God for help. You might have the answers, husbands, but maybe your wife doesn't need an answer. She needs you to show her how to go to God herself or together with you. He says, I'll show you how to approach God to get his help, which is humility and faith. That's the way to be a priest. The way to serve the people around you as a priest is to show them humility and faith. Jesus does this for us. He says, act like a child. And then what did Jesus do? He acted like a child with his father. He came to his father with every need, and his father met those needs. So cool. Well, look at verse 9. The chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, Behold, in, in my dream, a vine was before me. And the vine, in the vine were three branches, and it, it was as though it had budded. It, its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. So these guys were probably implicated in an assassination plot against Pharaoh, this butler and baker. And so they were probably in jail till they kind of figured out who was involved and who was at fault in this plot. Now, a butler was in charge of Pharaoh's wine. I want you to remember that. A butler was in charge of Pharaoh's wine. A baker was in charge of his fruit. No. Bread, right? Okay, so we have someone in charge of wine and someone in charge of bread. Just get the picture in your mind. We'll come to back to that in a minute. 
So this message that God gives would make sense to a butler. He understands vines and grapes and cups. That's his life. That's his language. God is not trying to hide his messages. Messages. But he does force us to go to him in humility and faith to have the meaning fully revealed to us. See, even though God wants the butler to know, hey, I'm, I'm in this, I'm giving you a message, I want you to know, he still doesn't give him the full meaning. He says, you need to come to me to get it fully explained. And in your life, you might have, yeah, I know God's working in my life, but I don't understand at all. Keep coming to the Lord in humility and faith, and he will reveal. That's why Jesus spoke to the disciples and all the people in parables. Do you remember that? They even asked Jesus, why do you speak in so many parables? And Jesus said, it's so that I can control who is getting the information. And that control happens through hearts. If your heart is humble and faithful and you want Jesus' guidance in your life, then it's revealed to you supernaturally. If you're there just to test me and if you're there with your own selfish motives, the parables are going to be parables that don't make any sense. Verse 12, Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. But remember me when it is well with you and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For indeed, it, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews and also have done nothing here that they should put me in the, into the dungeon. No one could have known that the three branches were three days. This is divinely revealed to Joseph. God gave a general revelation to these men, but they needed to come to him to have their full revelation. They had to come in faith to God to have it fully explained. This is amazing. This is how Jesus can be the door in the New Testament. People could know everything about God, and a lot of the Pharisees did. But if they don't directly approach Jesus personally, it's not the full thing. They don't have it all. That because he is the door that makes you be able to understand. Secondly, Joseph has no doubt. It, three days is pretty easy to test. And if Joseph was just making this up, they would have all known he would have been wrong in three days. But Joseph trusted God's grace, that God was giving him what he needed because Joseph asked God in faith and humility. He knows how God works. So he says, I'm going to come to you in faith. I'm going to come to you in humility. And I know the answer that comes to me will be from you. He trusted the answer that came to his mind. Now the Bible says not to trust your mind, not to trust your heart because it's deceitfully wicked. Yet it gives us instruction that if we pray in humility and faith, God can and will give us an answer. And those many times come in our mind. As we're reading scriptures in that dependence upon him, when you get an answer in your mind, that is from the Lord. You can put your confidence in those things. And this is hard for us because we get really like, well, what if it's not? And God says, stop doubting. If, it was in, if you were in my word, you asked me in humility, saying you needed me, and faith, you're depending on me, the answer that comes to you is me. I am your father. I am not going to give you a scorpion when you ask for a fish. We have to trust that heart of God, that he is going to answer us. God works like that a lot. You ask God for answers, and then you trust that the response is from the Holy Spirit. Do you think God is up there saying, okay, they, he just asked me for direction, all right? He asked in all humility and all faith, so I'm going to let him think that what he's thinking is right so he can drive off a cliff and die. Do you think God is like that? 
And Jesus would say, no, how much more is your heavenly father going to give you direction? If, you're, if you say, oh, I have humility and faith, I trust you, Lord, I pray to you and ask for direction, this is what I think I should do. If you go that direction and it's not where God wants you to go, what's going to happen? Yeah, there'll be a door shut in your face which will direct you another way. God will direct you. If you take a step and it's fine, then it was fine. God was leading you that way. Or he's going to supernaturally change things, but that's, what, that's stuff we don't have to worry about. We just have to pray in humility and faith and walk forward. You love God with all your heart and do whatever you want. Because what you want will not be sin. When you're loving God with all your heart, he directs your paths. This is what Joseph is showing us right now. Now, the second part, Joseph states his situation to the butler. He shares his heart with the butler because they have this relationship now where Joseph has led him in spiritual things. And now Joseph is like, hey, man, you could pray for me. I've got a rough time here. This isn't Joseph trying to get out of a situation in the flesh, but rather sharing his heart with a friend now. He's done spiritual work. He has a spiritual relationship with this guy. Now he trusts. It's not my flesh anymore, but bring it. Let, 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 let's think about that when you get out. Well, we'll get back to that in a minute. Verse 16. When the chief baker saw the interpretation was good, he said to Joseph, I also was in a dream, and there were three white baskets on my head, in the uppermost, uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, and the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. So Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and will hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh from you. And Joseph is a really good minister here he's faithful because he gives the whole counsel of god he's willing to give good news as well as not so good news but it's what this guy spiritually needed i don't know what happens to this guy spiritually but he needed to know God wanted him to know, in three days you're going to die. And I bet in those three days, you know what Joseph was talking to him about? How to get right with the Lord. How to, how to be forgiven of your sin. He is willing to share what this guy needed to hear from God, even if it was bad news. How many preachers are willing to share the butler's message, but not the baker's message? This can illustrate uh, the current situation of our church we see with a lot of uh, self-centered psychology. And think about communion. The butler speaks of wine. The baker speaks of bread. The wine represents that new life that we have with Jesus that's so exciting and fresh and refreshing and new life just springing up. Everyone loves talking about that. And the bread speaks of the broken body of Jesus which is given as a substitute for our sins, a broken person or will, giving up to the Father's will, saying, my life is like Jesus' broken broken body. My will is broken for you, God. I surrender to you. I receive your brokenness on my behalf, but I also break myself in humble submission to you. Jesus said, "If, if you want to follow me, it's no to self, death to self. It's the baker and the butler is the full message that we give. It seems to be there's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of talk in the church about the blessings of Jesus, and there seems to be a real lack of preaching about the breaking of our bodies and will. I, I'm reading right now this book called Heavenly Man, uh, the story of Brother Yoon, who is this pastor in China, and you got to read this book, guys. It'll rock your world. He was tortured and ugh, stuff shoved up his fingernails and horrible, horrible stuff. And yet he, 
he talks about how difficult it was in these years of persecution and him and his wife, when they were signing their marriage license to get married, they recognized his signature and he was wanted for being a Christian and they took him away right there and that's how their marriage started, him getting beaten. And he's like, why couldn't I just have peace? And why couldn't, and he goes through this book and you're learning about being, he learned to be broken before the Lord and to trust. God, in all of these situations and circumstances, to be fully surrendered to God. And it's a truly amazing thing and so encouraging. Well, that's not as popular because we're not facing a lot of persecution in America. I'm, I'm convinced the church in China, which is far bigger than the church in America and far more healthy, honestly, the reason why they're more healthy is because of the persecution they suffer. And I think that they pray for us and they look at our situation and they say, oh, I would never want to be in a church in America because it's so easy. It's so peaceful. They have so much freedom and their brokenness is not being developed through persecution yet. And I think we are the ones that are really if you were looking at it from heaven's perspective, we're in the toughest situation in the entire world because it's, it's so mixed. There's so many Christians and there's a favorable view towards Christians here in America for the most part. And we're, we don't have the persecution. And so there's some of us that don't even think we would be able to stand to persecution because we're like, I don't know if I love Jesus that much. And God knows in your heart you do, and he's done that work in you, but you don't get to know yet. And you might never know. We might never face persecution here. I don't know. But I know we would be more dependent on him if we did. And I look around this room, and I don't think many of you would leave if next week the police were standing outside and saying, if you go in here, you're going to jail. I mean, you might flee or whatever, but you're not going to leave us as a group. We're not going to, I know you guys aren't going to deny Jesus. One time, Brother Yoon was in jail. Another guy was arrested for being a Christian, young, younger believer, and they asked him, and he denied faith as he was coming into the cell. And Yoon, very weak, had been beaten and tortured and starved for many days, and he took his finger and he wrote, never deny Jesus with his finger. He just kept doing it on the wall and saying, never deny Jesus, never deny Jesus. Jesus, don't be a Judas. Never deny Jesus until his fingers started bleeding and he wrote it in blood on the wall of their cell. And the man was so touched and broken that he repented right there and went on to serve the, serve the Lord as I think a pastor in their, their local church there. But wow, we need some of that, right? No to self, death to self is the only way taught in the Bible. No to self, death to self. No to self, death to self. No to self, death to self. Well, what God does through your ministry is the next section of this uh, scripture here. We look at verse 20. Now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. Then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again, and he placed a cup in the Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So here is our question. Why would God make or allow the butler to forget Joseph? This seems very cruel. You're telling me that God is this loving father. And here is a very clear way out of his situation. And God doesn't give it to him. Wow, God must be a jerk. That seems very cruel. Joseph needs to know that God is his only hope and not his friends, not the arm of flesh. God is jealous for our hearts. He does not want us trusting in other things. When is hope? Hope, when everything else 
is hopeless. When your situation is hopeless, then you can know what real hope is. Hope doesn't make sense, guys. And we have to remember that. We can't think, oh, I'm just going to put my trust in this little thing over here. Maybe God will use this situation. Maybe not. No, it's God. It's all or nothing with Jesus. You either trust me for everything or we're going to stay in this prison. We're going to stay in this place until you get it, until you're willing to surrender. In 2 Corinthians 1.9, Paul says, Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. So he says, God is willing to allow us to live with a death sentence to teach us to trust him. God is willing to let you suffer so that you'll trust him. God knows that our success could very easily become our own idol, so we need challenges and trials to be taught or convinced that he truly is our only hope. See, God is still working in our church even though we're in America, which I don't think is the easiest place to be a Christian. But yet many of us have trials and sickness and pain. God knows how to get his message through, doesn't he? He knows how to discipline us. He has not abandoned us. And so we have no excuse. We have a different kind of pain probably, but we still have God working in our lives. He's allowing, he's willing to allow us to live with a death sentence so that our trust will be in him who what? Raises the dead. When do you have to raise the dead? When someone's dead. Well, is there any hope when they're dead? No, but this is what hope is. It's when we surrender fully. All right, I'm never getting out of this job, and I'm cool with it, God. All right, my marriage is always going to suck, but hey, I'm in it, and I'm going to serve you, God. Hey, I'm, I have this situation. I have cancer. I'm hopeless. But I know, you know what? I'm, I'm in it with you, God. And it's then, when you have hope, when it's impossible, that you experience what God has wanted you to experience, which is that he raises the dead. He will do it. And he wants you to depend on him to do it. Impossible things. He wants your dependence and belief that he'll do impossible things. Why? Because he's your heavenly father. He's not an earthly father. He's a heavenly father. He can do heavenly things. He's got power and a willingness to use that power on your behalf. But we got to come to the surrender first, right? Psalm 39.7 says, And now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. When we when we can resign to that place where I'm, I'm just, I'm not, waiting, I'm not waiting anymore for my life to change. I'm just waiting for you, God. Whatever you want. I'm surrendered to it. I'm resigned to it. I'm done hoping things change. I'm putting my hope in you that you're going to give me what I need at the right time and it's probably after I'm dead and you'll raise the dead and I'm okay dying. Man, my hope is in you. Psalm 20, verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of our God. Are you trusting in the arm of flesh or in the character of God? Are you, are you trusting in chariots and horses or are you remembering the name and character of who God is, his loving, fatherly, giving nature? Or what can you do to change your situation? Those are two opposed focuses, two opposed viewpoints that cannot be reconciled. No to self, death to self. I put my hope in you and your character or self-esteem and what can I do to change my situation? Are you trusting in you or God? That's how it clearly most simply breaks down. God will make us weak if it means we will trust in him. Have you ever thought, why am I so weak? So that God can receive your trust. 
He made you that way so that you'll trust him. When you think you've had enough, God is usually just getting started. It's when we surrender and say, God, I trust you to a life that may never change that God often brings an end to our trials because they've done their job now. Ah, right when I surrendered, then it changed. Hmm, I wonder why. His purpose and will and heart is not to destroy you. It's not to curse you. It's not to hurt you. He is your loving father. He is your wise father. But, but you are cursed when you don't trust him. See, we actually experience the curse that God wants to save us from when we decide to go at our own and to put our hope in things that we can accomplish, things we can do. Like a father who tells his son not to play in a busy street, there is a curse waiting if you don't do what the word of God says. If you go play in the street anyway, you're going to get run over. It's going to be a sad day. Your dad didn't want you to get cursed. He gave you instruction, but you didn't trust him. You didn't listen. Jeremiah 17 verse 5 says, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in men and who makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. BK, I think we have a, a picture of a shrub in the desert. Yay, there's a shrub in the desert for visual effect. You might be thinking, why am I so dry? Why am I like a shrub in the desert? The answer is because you've been trusting in the arm of flesh. I've trusted in my strength. I've moved forward with the idea that I have it all together. Now, Jeremiah continues in verse 7. He said, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which shall spread its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes. But its leaf will be green and it will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will it cease from yielding fruit. Such a different life. When I trust the Lord instead of myself, when I hope in him and not in me, this scripture here, Jeremiah chapter um, 17, verse 7 and 8, says I'm stable, watered, rooted, no fear, green, anx- not, not anxious, and fruitful. Seven things that accompany the life of someone who trusts in the Lord. Tell me, is it a good idea to trust the Lord? Yes. Then why don't we? Because we are addicted to control. We are addicted to thinking that we can affect our lives. The world has beat that idea into you. Satan wants you to keep that idea. And God is gently trying to encourage us to say, I give up. I'm not in control. My life's blessings only come from God. So I'm going to do what's right and trust him to bless me. I'm going to do what's right and trust him to bless me. Here's a quote for you. The flesh is a built-in law of failure. When we trust in the flesh, we're we're trusting in something that always fails, making it impossible for the natural man to please or serve God. It is a compulsive inner force inherited from man's fall, which expresses itself in general and specific rebellion against God and his righteousness. The flesh can never be reformed or improved. The only hope for escape from the law of flesh is its total execution and replacement by a new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Michael Bubeck. I don't know who that is, but awesome quote. Real hope is this to trust God at all times and not yourself and know that he will never fail you. Joseph has been through so much pain and trials. Why? Because God wants to bless him and use him. But God cannot bless or use flesh. 
Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 15, and we're nearly done. He has been through all of this because God wants to bless him and use him. And so he's taking him through these trials. He takes Joseph through all these things so he will always know that it's all about God and not himself, so that God could receive the glory and not a man. Then God is free to bless and lift up his servant in due time. That's what's going on with Joseph. We know Joseph is going to end up saving the world. It's going to be amazing. But God must, and you guys have probably heard that term, before God can use a man greatly, he must break him deeply. And you're like, well, I don't, I don't like that. I don't blame you. No one wants to be broken, but we must. Romans 15, 4. Joseph shows us how to live with hope. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning. That we, the church, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have what? Hope. God is going to use this story of Joseph to change your life. Trust in God. Focus on people and live with hope. In, in a few verses later, Romans 15, 13, Paul, taking this idea to its conclusion, says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This isn't the hope of, oh, a Hail Mary, and maybe if I give my best effort, I'll throw it up and it might just work. That's how some people live their Christian lives. Oh, I'll do my absolute best and maybe it'll work. That is not hope. That is self-reliance and flesh. Hope is saying, I'm hopeless. There is no way in this world that I can be a good person, that I can do what God is calling me to do, that I can do anything. So, I put my trust in God and he does a miracle. An impossible miracle is what God wants you to depend on him for and to live your life based on. And the world will think you're crazy. Your own mind will tell you you're crazy for trusting in God's grace. For saying, I, I'm a horrible person, but I prayed in humility and faith and I believe God was going to change me. And I'm going to wait upon him in his word to see it happen. That is Insane. Hope does not make sense. But yet God says, you have hope. If you put your trust in me, you have all the hope in the world because I am a God of hope. I'm a God of hope who wants you to abound with hope. I don't want you to just have a little hope, but to abound with it every area of your life to know that God's going to give you victory in what you need spiritually in those situations which he will give you by the power of the Holy Spirit when you choose to believe. This is the problem with us in our church and every other church. We choose not to believe that God will give us a miracle. And when we decide to believe, God gives miracles because he's a loving father that wants to give miracles. Are you going to believe? Whoa, good answer. Are you going to believe that God, that your life is not a mistake? Nothing in your life is a mistake. Are you going to believe that nothing in your life is not the will of your heavenly father? Are you going to believe that God loves you? Are you going to believe that God wants to use you to minister to other people during your few days here on the earth? Joseph is a powerful lesson for us in believing in hope. He focuses on the, uh, so good. I'm gonna leave you with one last quote, okay? And then we'll be done. George Mueller, you guys all know him. If you don't, shame on you. You're a fool. George Mueller is amazing and you need to get his book or listen to his book or whatever. If you don't know who he is, bah, slap. <laughs> 
He says, even when our situation appears to be impossible, our work is to hope in God. Our hope will not be in vain, and in the Lord's own timing, help will come. And this is a guy I'm not even going to tell you. If you don't know what George Mueller did, brah, I, don't, I don't know what to say. Go read his book. Oh, wow. Okay. Let us pray. Let us all stand up and worship Jesus. Jared's going to come sing a song and Sandra and Dave. Father, we come to you and we're thankful so much for your love and your grace. God, that your character is such that you desire to serve us and to provide for us spiritually all that we could ever need or want in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Um, We confess right now that we have doubted you many times. We have lived and made decisions that depended on our own abilities on our own ways and thoughts. Lord, we have many times not trusted in the Holy Spirit that you have promised. We've not even asked many times. Some of us have given up asking. Lord, you entrust your kingdom here on this earth to us. And we have failed to ask you for help so often. And Lord, we want to we repent of these things. We want to have a pure heart that you can bless, that you can pour miracles upon and your grace. We want to be under that waterfall that flows from heaven. So Lord, we ask for your forgiveness and we ask for um, a filling of your spirit that you'll give us what we need to be able to understand. You'll give us direction. Lord, I pray for healing for all those who are sick today and are hurting in our church family, and even those here who are hurting. and We thank you that you hear our prayers and that you're so willing to give us answers. Lord, I pray that you would move in our lives this week and that we would focus on others and be loving to the people at our work and our, our, in our lives, that we would share your hope with them and that we would surrender in our own lives to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.